Sight. He's engineered Grammy-nominated albums. He is founder of Nowhere Media, which has produced award-winning commercial spots for companies like Target, Walmart, Minnesota Wild, and others. He's played key roles in the ownership and operation of audio recording facilities, independent record labels, media schools, and commercial music production companies. He's a keyboard player, too. And one of his uh, great traits, in my mind, that really stands out is that he's an optimist. We need optimists right now in the music industry. He is now assistant professor of music industry uh, at Minnesota State or Minnesota State University Mankato. Yeah, Minnesota State University mm-hmm. Mankato. I gotta say that right. And an all-around great dude. Please welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, Scott Ligier. Thank you, Mr. Meckler. How are you today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I am not bad. And and you know now knowing that you were bringing me on in part for optimism, I'll try to keep it. <laughs> Because let's be frank, the last three years it has waned. Yeah, yeah, um, it's been but tough. Let's, let's let's dig in. Yeah, I, I, I you know, I, I wanted to j- jump right in on this because I remember you giving a uh, a presentation. Maybe it was at like the summer camp that I designed at McNally Smith or something. Um, and you you gave a presentation on Spotify. I, I'm kind of this is from my memory, but uh, you know, and you said something like. Um, like when phones become, when smartphones become more, uh, more readily available, when everyone has them, as the number of people who have smartphones grow and the number of people who use Spotify grow, then the numbers of streams will continue to go up, and this may become sort of a viable solution for artists in the future. Now that we're maybe five years down the road, uh, how do you feel about your forecast? Do you feel like that has manifested? Do you feel like Spotify is super evil? Like, where, where are you at on that uh, whole streaming conversation? That's a great question, and it's a great timely question as we're in the midst of the Joe Rogan, Neil Young kerfuffle. And I was explaining to a classroom yesterday, outside of free speech issues, outside of a commercial private company or commercial public company choosing to do what it does and artists having the right to choose what they do, a large part of the backlash that's happening on Spotify now is that things still aren't great, right? The the payments still aren't great and you're looking at about a half penny a stream, 0.003 cents on average. Um, Mm -hmm. There is still a lot of reason to be optimistic. And probably when we were talking, there were maybe 100 million people paying for streaming. Well, there's now 530-some million people paying for streaming across a variety of platforms. And some information just came out with Apple's latest uh, financials, where it looks like they have just, just around 4 billion active mobile handsets. Wow. Right? And... Google and the Android side also had some guidance that suggests they're they're at the two billion-ish mark, somewhere in there. So we have around five billion handsets. Okay, well, if we've got five billion handsets, but only 530 million people paying for a streaming platform, well, that means there's room to grow, right? Mm -hmm. And I think if you're on the label side, Sony, Universal, Warners, they're now making literally millions of dollars a day just in streaming revenues, right? Wow. But that's because they have such big rosters that all that money is flowing into them. And I think if you're a big company like that, that concept of the long tail, get as many of the pennies as you can, yep. it's really working. If you're an independent artist, 
and you only have one or two or three releases out, you don't have the catalog that pulls in, so it's a much harder proposition. That said, it's also hard to escape today the optimism and excitement that's coming from NFTs. Yeah, okay. Right? NFTs are still a very hard to understand concept. I was just talking to a friend yesterday. This dude has more accolades in audio than, than most people I know, and he was like, hey, can, can you explain the NFT to, thing to me again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I sort of broke it down, and you know, this was probably from a Fast Company article. Take away the jargon for a moment. Look at NFTs as an LDA, a limited digital asset, mm -hmm. right? We're excited that Spotify, Apple, Tidal, Deezer can be a, a massive bullhorn um, and now that we're nearing 40% of U.S. households have a smart speaker in the home mm -hmm. or they have a modern car with voice capability, a lot of those challenges that you and me as artists had years ago, those challenges are gone. Distribution is easy. Right. Matter of fact, statistically, we're already in everybody's homes, right? We've solved that. We just need to, to up the awareness so that somebody's sitting at home today and says, Hey, Alexa, please play the Adam Meckler Orchestra, right? Right. So <clears throat> we've got that ubiquity going. Well, now we've got to figure out how do you monetize something unique? How do you monetize something special? And that could be, for some artists, NFTs, right. right? A limited digital asset. Don't have a bazillion streams of your music out there. Have a couple special things, artwork, video, unique songs that you know a much more limited uh, amount of people has access to and if we think about it this should make sense to us because this opportunity the digital uh, scarcity mimics what we started to see from kickstarter patreon indiegogo right. and all of the crowdfunding of the last decade where i'll do a private house show for you if you pledge five grand and yeah, and There's I'm hearing about uh, experiential NFTs a lot, where it's like you get an NFT and you get an experience. If you own this NFT, you also get to, anytime you get to this art gallery, you can get in, or anytime, you know, maybe it's a tickets to a show or something like that. That's, that to me, that's a really interesting aspect of NFTs, too, that kind of takes it out of the digital world and puts it in the real world as well. You know, so you have both, you kind of, yeah. you have both of those things happening. I was just talking to an artist who has always had a side interest in puzzles as a hobbyist, right? Well, he has been working for the last decade to concoct a massive global treasure hunt. Mm -hmm. He and his friends have literally buried valuable items all over the world. Oh my gosh. And he used to put clues out via social media, right? Too cool. Well, now he's putting clues into NFTs. Nice. So if you're into it, you can buy the clue. But here's the fun thing. If your circumstances change, if you don't have the time to invest in the treasure hunt, you can sell your clue to another active treasure hunter. Right. So just as you said, people are learning to bridge digital and, and, and in real person together in neat ways. And since NFTs can be longstanding tokens, they could be used as tickets. Actually, Live Nation is investing in uh, models and research to see how NFTs could be a really exciting way for VIP level tickets. You get in multiple times. Yep. You can always sell them. Yep. And you can, I mean, you can, not, 
bake into the code, right? That if you're the creator of the NFT, uh, so say I I create a you know a, a, a NFT of an MP3 of one of my most popular songs, uh, I can say that every time that is sold, so so maybe I win five Grammys in in a handful of years. Fingers crossed. Uh, that that NFT is now worth a lot more. I can bake into the code that I get a percentage of every future sale as well, which artists have never been able to do. So as that NFT continues to increase in value, I continue to get paid as the artist. I mean, that to me, that is in a world where like we're in a streaming world where like pe people want to consume music via streaming. Uh, that and, and and you know, I talked to these old cats, and they're like, "Man, that's what we're dealing with with radio." And I was like. Uh, you know, spot to me, like streaming is not really the same as radio because there are we don't have the equivalent of the physical product anymore. Because like, you know, we right. we might sell physical product at gigs, but we're not moving tons and tons. Of, even even me, like as an independent artist in 2008, I was selling 2,000 CDs in a year. You know, and that making twenty thousand dollars selling CDs. It's like you don't. I don't do that anymore. I still sell CDs at gigs, but like that number is is has gone way down every year that goes by. So to me, it's like. Streaming is not equivalent to radio because we don't have that, we don't have that physical copy equivalent today. And I, I really like, you know, I didn't know we were going to talk about NFTs, but I've, I'm super interested in this too, and have been really kind of going down this rabbit hole over the last six, eight months uh, researching this. Uh, and this could, I feel like this could be that, you know, you're talking about the fan to artist relationship, the things like Kickstarter and Patreon that have been trying to solve that same problem. Maybe NFTs could be that could be that sort of like physical copy uh, uh, equivalent. Well, you know, you're absolutely right. And you bring up like nine good points that I want to unpack. I think what we're landing on, the answer isn't NFTs and the answer isn't make cassettes. You know, the answer is like any smart business, like any smart investment portfolio, be as diversified as you can. Yeah. Right. I really am excited, and you mentioned that, yes, every NFT travels with a smart contract around it that could be revenue generating. For instance, you know, I've got an original copy of Sgt. Pepper. Ooh. How many times has this changed hands? Or more specifically, you know, I've got 20 Jimmy Smith LPs down there. Yep, How nice. many times have those LPs changed hands and the money hasn't gone back to Jimmy Smith or gone back to Verve or Cecil Taylor or any of the jazz greats that made some of that work? Yep. You could have a lot more longevity, financial longevity built into the model. But it's not NFTs alone. It's also still merch. Yep. It's also still great shows. It's also still great songwriting. It's also still finding ways to engage uh, directly with your audience. You know, I would have said a couple years ago, well, that's a strong mailing list. Mm -hmm. Polling my students every semester, they don't love uh, uh, email. Okay, so then it's text message-based marketing, and you're building a text list, and you're keeping in touch with people. Man, my students you know, don't it, even. My students don't even text. You know, they're they're like they're on Discord, they're on other right. other things. They're not. You know, I, I'll send a text to my students, and I, I won't even hear back. They'll be like, "Oh, I didn't even see it." You know, I'm like, right. "Okay, why why are we even exchanging phone numbers then?" It's like it's pretty wild, right. man. Like, and I'm 37; I'm not that old. You know, it's like we're seeing the 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 change in in the way people communicate. To me, that's also a really fascinating uh, part of this whole puzzle. It it really is. You know, I came across a quote um, from an old friend of mine, actually, in a book who used to teach at McNally, and the quote was. Your future will be predicated on uh, absorbing and managing new information. Hmm. 
And I think if we're going to talk about the big picture, that's the hardest thing today, yeah. right? Yeah. Because I opened a recording studio right when that digital revolution started, right in 2000. And when we opened, we still had an analog tape machine because that was still the model. And I remember getting drunk with our engineer at the Monte Carlo one night, and it was sort of like, you know, this, this Pro Tools thing, it's gonna be a big deal. And so, you know, <laughs> two in the morning at bar close, we pounded the table, okay, let's, let's do it, let's buy the Pro Tools. And we, we bought, a, brought a, bought a Pro Tools system, and for like a year, that was a money-making decision. Yeah. Um, because I think our exuberance, our naivete, our youth uh, was an advantage in that we spent every penny we had. We, 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 we gambled. You know, we filled up the company credit cards. We were right to that, that limit. Right. But then, you know, we got a lot of work out of it. And already some of those touring artists that would do, you know, one day in this city and one day in that city, well, they were already traveling with hard drives. Yeah. Right. They had ditched the two-inch reels. And so we got a lot of exciting work. But then a year later, the Digi 001 came out and the studio business forever changed, yeah. right? Yeah. When people could record at home and maybe just come to a big room for drums or maybe just come later on for mixing, the whole model changed. And from that point on, like 2001, I sort of realized, oh man, your business could turn on a dime. Yeah. Your career could turn on a dime. Yeah. You know, and I better get. Sorry, you're touching on something to me that's really interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot. This relationship between talent, like the intersection between like talent and motivation and hard work, but also opportunity and timing, right? Like, uh, I've been reading this book, Outliers, by Malcolm Gladwell. That's that talks a lot about you know being in the right place at the right time sort of uh, he talks about sort of like arbitrary cutoff dates with kids and, and their birth dates and how the kids that are you know just eight months more developed than the other kids end up getting more opportunities and therefore they're they're the ones that end up in the nhl like all the all-star hockey teams in the nhl they're all born right. between january and march because in canada the cutoff date is january 1 to be in like the hockey all-stars or whatever um but to me it's like this idea of of when you were born and then the opportunities that arise around you, um, I think as an artist, it gets harder to continue to go like, oh, I see TikTok is blowing up. Okay, I'm going to jump on TikTok. It's like you're 35 and you're like, okay, maybe you know, I see Jack Black on there. So, it's, you know, it's like it's not like old, older people aren't doing it and, and being successful with it. Uh, but at the same time, I think that does get tiring. That gets fatiguing being like, okay, what's the next thing I got to jump on to? And, and but but for me, like I've always you know, zooming out, I've seen streaming as a problem. It's like streaming's a problem. People obviously want to consume this way, but it's a problem. So what's the solution and where, where is it going to come from? And we actually talked about this because I, I was talking about starting a streaming company five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you remember us having this conversation yeah. um, doing like a direct fan to artist streaming company uh, because I thought, man, if we could have something that functions like Spotify, but that pays like Bandcamp, right, where the, it's just direct fan to artist, that would really be something. Um, so like, you know, all this hubbub around crypto and the blockchain and NFTs, um, as I've researched this more, this really feels like the, 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 the direction the industry is going and the direction that young people are going to take now as that thing becomes more mainstream. And NFTs is really like 
that's the gateway into crypto for so many people. And people don't even realize that NFTs. I keep seeing people go, are NFTs crypto? And it's like, yeah, it's all part of this like blockchain technology, right? Which is super cool in my mind and, and could be that solution we've, we've been waiting for. But it's that timing right. thing, and right? I, timing is a huge piece of it. And I think, and I'll come back to that, but just looking at the crypto thing, you know, a lot of people get hung up on, well, is NFTs a fad? No, because, you know, something that very few people were talking about only a couple of years ago is now generating billions across several industries, right? Yeah. When you see the NBA uh, getting into NFTs to sell exclusive photos of game-winning shots and all of that, yeah, if, Adidas, you're, if you're Pepsi, into basketball... Everybody's doing right, it. Right, right. So everyone's doing it. And, 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 you know, artists always have to draw that line between, like, you know, as an artist, you need to be good at your art. You need to be good at your instrument. You need to put in those 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours to get where you need to be. So our inclination is, and this is the same for me, I'm happier as a human being behind a Hammond or a Wurlitzer or with a guitar in my lap. Yeah. But we're also forced to understand how to try and explore those things and share that in order to monetize it living in a capitalist society. Mm -hmm. And again, without getting hung up on NFTs, how many of us have used cash money to buy power-ups in a video game? How, money, how, how many people have spent money on outfits or weapons or anything in the video game realm, whether it's Fortnite, whether it's a car racing game, mm -hmm. like, I think we're more willing to pay, the world is more willing to pay for digital assets and exclusivity than most musicians realize, because that's not a big jump. Right. Right. Buy an NFT from this artist is the same as buying the awesome gun or uh, the awesome Spider-Man web hands in, in Fortnite. So yep. that's exciting. But that timing thing, that timing thing really is true. And, it you know, it's interesting. The Beatles didn't invent multi-track tape recording. But they used it. Michael right. Jackson didn't invent MTV, but he used it. Lady Gaga didn't invent YouTube, but she used it. Yep. And artists today, smart ones, are learning to use the tools that are around them. Yeah. Well, you, know, the, you know, I would say the difference between those platforms and these ones is that, you know, they used YouTube and, and, and uh, we use Spotify and we use Instagram and we use Facebook. Uh, but this is this is like this is the difference sort of between Web 2 and Web 3, right, is that like. Web 2 is like, right. we are the content creators. We are the whole reason Instagram exists, right? We are, yep. we create the content for Instagram. Instagram is merely a platform for us to express ourselves. And we get none of the benefit of their initial $3 billion sale to Facebook, of their uh, whatever they, however they monetize now with ads. It's like, we get zero of those dollars. And now people can like, and get, you know, sponsorships and things like that. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, not only do we not have the long-term equity in those platforms, we've all seen this. They change the algorithm, and, and, and our game is shot, yep. right? Yep. And it's been in really interesting. I'm not active on social media, but I'm very observant on social media, right? And I'm amazed when, man, I haven't heard, you know, or I'm thinking I haven't heard from so-and-so in forever. That's just because Facebook tweaked an algorithm and so I haven't seen this person's posts anymore, right? right? So we're not in control, you know? And there's yeah. lots of artists publicly talking about, hey, I've got 
5,000 fans on Facebook, but unless I pay to bump up and promote a post, I'm not going to see that back. And you're right, Web 3.0, when we go to a larger tokenized or decentralized system, there's a lot of potential there. But guess what? It it changes the narrative and, and we could get political. I don't think there's a reason to today. It changes the narrative, I think, that I feel as a college educator, and, and you probably do too, this notion that you study in high school, you get into college, uh, uh, you do well in college, and you go start your career. Mm-hmm. Just based on this conversation, I got to tell you, that seems broken. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So in 2001, when I saw my business flip upside down with digital technology, right? Some nerds made cheaper Pro Tools, good on them, (laughs) but that really impacted me. I've had to selfishly keep jumping from lily pad to lily pad, right? Like subscribing to the New York Times, subscribing to the Wall Street Journal, subscribing to Billboard, subscribing to 100 different great uh, mailing lists. It's not just because I'm a nerd. Sure, I'm a nerd, but like it's selfish. Like I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder in panic, right? Yep. So much is changing that we really need to preach in America lifelong learning. Mm-hmm. And we need to talk to all Americans, all kids. How is commerce changing? And, you know, it might not just be the local storefront. It might be the five billion, six billion person digital economy, right? Right. Will we bring some manufacturing back to the U.S.? Absolutely. Will we bring all of it back? No. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we're going to have really high value localized production here, right? Expensive heirloom level stuff. Yep. Well, that's not the, the value that we preach in so much advertising. Get the value meal. This thing's on sale. Right. If we want things built here, if we want things made here, if we want things cooked here, we might have to pay more. Yeah. And we need to get back to this mindset of, man, we're in this together. Right. If I didn't have these conversations with you, if I didn't have these conversations with friends to be like, yo, what the hell is an NFT? Explain this to me. Let's get out of dry erase board. You know, yep. That is only going to be more and more important. This idea of lifelong learning because the iterations are changing so quickly. Yeah. Like since, since that moment that the studio business flipped upside down, I've watched like four more industries flip upside down and it's only gonna continue, Yep. right? So, and I, you know, I do think that there's a, a, a certain attitude of, uh, of musicians wanting to see other musicians do well too. I, I do think that there's that spirit in the music industry. Um, there's, Absolutely. There's certainly a spirit of, of mentorship and menteeship. Um, but just in general, you know, I like when these ideas are coming up, it's like, yeah, I want to talk to other musicians about it. I want to see what they're doing. I want to, that's sort of why we are doing this podcast is like, let's find out how people are making it and see if we can get that information to young people. And, you know, along those lines, uh, if you were a young person coming up now, you know, you're teaching a bunch of students who are going to going to go into the music industry. What are you telling them? Uh, like you you talked about diversification, uh, are you saying, hey, maybe you'll have to teach and play gigs and work on your digital uh, identity and X, Y, Z, you know? Right. I mean, yes to all of that. You know, current Department of Labor data 
Again, this is something I wish we talked about more in the public sphere. Current Department of Labor data says that this generation will have seven careers before they're 34. Not seven jobs, seven careers. You know, because, because it's harder today. And when, when corporate America downsized and, and evolved post-Great Recession, what did they get rid of? They got rid of the middle, right? So now we have, you know, worker bees, low-paid worker bees, and then we have higher-paid executives, right? Yep. So the idea of starting at the bottom and working your way up is, is really a lot more challenging today. So really, we've created this economy where your only way to move up is to hop, right? Hop over there and then hop over there. Um, it really is a thing of constant learning. And, you know, talking with a former student of mine, Kyle Boleyn, who's always been active and engaged in this space, he, he and I were talking one night recently and we really landed on it. You know, there isn't a music business anymore. Hmm. There's your business. It actually goes back to that old Jay-Z quote, right? I'm not a businessman. I'm a business, I'm a, comma, man. I'm a business, man. Right. Well, yeah. every American has to be, right? Sure. And so it's partly not just leveling up, but it's leveling up. And while you learn and while you grow, finding what you're good at. But, you and, know, you know, there's a great. Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say Jay-Z is a business. Sure. But also, like, he's he's not working an hour for every dollar. You know what I mean? Like, he has created a business around him. And and this right. is, a this is I think, a really important distinction to make uh, because as you become an entrepreneur, which is what a lot of musicians have to do or are forced into, into becoming, if you think more like a business person and think about creating a team around you to be successful. You know, somebody who I've seen do this is, is really successfully is Corey Wong. You know, it's like he, he's created a team around him uh, from from Mike Nelson being his horn arranger to, uh, you know, grabbing people from the old Prince realm and maybe and maybe heeding some of that advice to having producers and managers and uh, film crews. And it's like he's created a, a, a team around him to make his thing successful. And, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs get in the space where if you leave your business you make zero dollars, right? This is this is the space I was in for so long. I couldn't go to my friend's weddings because if I went to my friend's wedding, I missed out on a weekend of gigs. And if I missed out on a weekend of gigs, I wasn't making money. So this idea of like, how do we create passive income as musicians? Or how do we create a business around us that functions while we're gone, that continues to make money while we're gone? Maybe that's you monetize your YouTube channel, you monetize your streaming, you have NFTs, right? There's all these various different ways to do it. Uh, but man, I've been thinking about this a lot uh, of of the difference between being self-employed, being an entrepreneur that's self-employed, that's just one person, and that literally, like, if you're not doing the work, you're not making money, versus being a business owner, right? And these are two different things. I think it's a, I think it's a great way to look at it. And and yes, being a business owner creates a much bigger mental umbrella, right, or tent under which you can have a lot more things going on instead of saying I'm an entrepreneur and I'm running down this lane. Well, you know, you're hitting on a great point that I think goes back to what we used to talk about a lot at McNally, that this notion of DIY is really horseshit. Like, there is no way you can be on top of all of this by yourself. No and that way. actually makes me mad when there's a lot of attitudes in America. Well, why doesn't everyone just pull themselves up by their bootstraps? Right. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you want to look at, at, at the depth 
the depth and diversity of subject matter that that a young person needs to navigate today. Yep. We all need help. It's got to be a DIT. Do it together. And Do it together. that's why things like this are valuable because we can unpack it. You upload it to the podcast platforms and the information goes out. That podcast gets listened to. Ten other podcasts gets listened to. And maybe, ha-ha, we come back to that point of optimism that <sighs> transparency like this, radical transparency. And, you know, I saw an interesting thing. That early on in the studio business, early on in a lot of businesses, right? There, everyone always fronted because you wanted to have the appearance of being successful. You wanted mm -hmm. to have the appearance of being busy. Hey, man, how's how's things at the studio? Oh, oh, we are busy. We are so busy. I can't even stay on the phone with you. We're so busy. Yeah, right. But then as things started to change, you know, you go to South by Southwest, you go to AES, you go to some of those other events. By the mid-2000s, everyone finally sort of sat down and like, I'm really not that busy. Are you, you're not that busy either, right? Yeah. And then we finally realized, okay, we're all going through this together. Let's be a lot more open. And, and through that, maybe what's working for you and what's working for you and how do we get through this together, that really has to carry on because, you know, I, I talk about Mike Warner a lot. Uh, an artist from Australia that's found himself in Los Angeles, and as he started digging into his own career, uh, he connected with the team at Chartmetric, which is an incredible da data platform that will put in one window for you all your socials, all your streaming, your YouTube, radio play, and you can start to really analyze how you're doing in the digital world. Well, going through that process, uh, Mike has put out a book uh, work Hard, Playlist Harder, and his second version, which has a whole slew of uh, input from additional authors and music specialists, man, that book has become a near Bible for me Yeah, because he's one of the first people to really map out. It's get your di digital distributor, but also your Spotify for Artist account, also your Apple for Artists account, also, 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 also. Right. Like that list of things to do, that list of places, it's not just ASCAP. ASCAP, SoundExchange, uh, you know, it's, it's deeper today. And so we need more authors. We need more yep. bloggers. We need more podcasters. We need uh, more water and, and music newsletters to talk about uh, DAOs and Web 3.0 and everything else like that. Like Sherry Hugh and her team, amazing, right? Um, yeah. So I'm optimistic that there's more of a willingness to share and explore together and, and talk about, hey, what's working, what's not? Because, and this is an old Roy Rogers quote that I use a lot, uh, I couldn't last a day without everybody. Yeah. Right. And so this I'm whole notion of, yeah, I, and, and I talk about that in class, like someone's working all night in the power plant and the lights are on. Right. Someone's keeping the Internet working and we've got a relationship that I've got a bill. And, 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 you know, we're this value exchange is what keeps society working, not this, in my mind, perverted notion of freedom that, you know, it, it's all about me because. Right man, I, I couldn't survive without conversations like this with you or the 20 people I talked to yesterday. Yeah, and this is a good place. 
uh, real quick to just say, hey, this podcast is brought to you by the Gig Boss app. Gig Boss app is a way that uh, bands, musicians, freelancers, event-based freelancers can organize their careers. Check out Gig Boss app on iOS and Android. It's free. Uh, we're going to be adding some new features soon. And also, uh, for our listeners, we'll be... Anything that Scott mentions here, like chart metric, uh, we'll be linking that kind of stuff at our blog page on our website. Uh, so anything that uh, that drops during the uh, during the podcast, you can find those links. You'll find those links in the description as well. Uh, make sure to like uh, the video. Make sure to rate us. Uh, give us a rating on wherever you listen to podcasts. That helps us out. Uh, we will link that stuff. And you mentioned DAOs. That's de uh, decentralized autonomous organizations, right? That's related. Uh, that's central to the, the blockchain and crypto. Uh, for those of you that don't know what DAOs or DAOs, you'll hear them called DAOs a lot uh, in the world. Cool. Cool. So we're here with Scott Lagier hanging out, talking about the music industry. Uh, let's see. Scott, you know, I got some questions here that I had written down, um, and I'm curious uh, – if there was a song that you worked on or a story that you worked on as an engineer or as a producer, is there something, is there anything that stands out um, that maybe stood out during the mixing process in the session? Uh, you mentioned in your bio that you've, that you've uh, engineered some Grammy nominated uh, songs or albums. You know, yeah, I'll give you one. And actually I was thinking about you first because we, five minutes ago we were talking about, how do you do it? How do you keep afloat? And part of it has to be attitude. You know, and I was actually talking to a class yesterday and I said, you know, sometimes I'm flagged in my uh, faculty evaluations. This was more of a philosophy class than a music publishing <laughs> class. Sure. Well, there has to be a philosophy and an attitude that like, I can figure this out. I'm going to I'm going to figure it out. I'm driven. I want to make something happen. I want to share my art with the world. And that's something I've always admired from you, mm -hmm. Adam, right? You have a positive go get it, get involved, share and bring people along attitude. That's critical. Yeah. Right? And <clears throat> it's not that this has to be a hallmark moment or all of us need to adopt hallmark moments, but you know, that, that decision, whether you want to be excited about tomorrow and excited about new opportunities or lament what you don't have, that can be somewhat of a conscious choice. Or we can fake it until we feel better, right? Which yep. I'm sure all of us have been doing in the last couple of years. Indeed. <laughs> I'm going to try and feel it. okay today. Yeah. But, you know, we were, <clears throat> I was working on a record with uh, Brian Setzer. And we were really just taking, we were taking a break. I think it was lunch. And he was just flipping through vinyl, you know, had a, had a wall of vinyl. He's like, oh my gosh, you, you got this record. And he, he grabbed a, uh, and I, it was West Montgomery, I think. He grabbed a record out of the shelf and then ran over to the turntable, threw it on, grabbed an arch top off the wall, and then disappeared. And he was ignoring <laughs> all of us. And he was playing along, That's listening awesome. intently, and, you know, after the song ended and, and I was watching his fingers, he's like, man, I've been trying to nail that solo for 20 years. <laughs> that's, that's why Brian has 13 Grammy nominations, mm -hmm. right? You're still excited by music that much. You're still relentless in your practice. You're relentless in your craft. You know, a lot of blogs and, 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 and popular books today will call it curiosity. 
you know, how do we find that thing that lights your fire? How do we find that thing that really motivates you to keep going? Because Brian's got it. Yep. And, you know, it was always a joy to work with him because every song, every session, he's turning me on to 10 things that turned him on. Right. You know, uh, and that's what was always fun and exhausting of working with him is you get home from the studio at two in the morning, but you're wired. Right. So I'm putting on records. I'm pulling out the guitar. I'm trying to do what he was doing. Yeah. You know, we yeah, all feeding need to off be, of that energy. Yeah. And, you know, when we can, we've got to be willing to let that energy burn as an inspiration to others. Right. Yeah. Share. When things are hard, when things are challenging, you might want to lock down. You might want to keep a box of secrets. You might not want to go out. But I think the answer is instead, share everything you know. Share everything you're excited about. Share all of your magic mixing techniques. Because guess what? That means your neighbor's going to share all of theirs, and now you're both smarter, right? Yeah. You're both better at your craft. Hey, how'd you do that? What's your fingering on that, you know? Yeah. Man, I, I do think that there are some people whose personalities are just that way. They're just infectious, you yeah. know? Uh, but I also think that that's an attitude that can be cultivated, you know? So that's that's a thing that, like, you can find that thing, like you're talking about, just being around Setzer and then being like, oh, I got to go do that same thing. That Finding that thing that really feeds you and motivates you to continue to, to learn right and that's kind of goes back to your like becoming lifelong learners you know I, I've always felt that way about myself as a trumpet player as a composer that like I'm still very much in this process of figuring out who I am as an artist and I've released like five, you know four albums with my quint with my uh, big band and three with my quintet and uh, I've been on records with Corey Wong and now one with with Corey Wong and Kaz uh, and have done tons of stuff with Chain, my chamber group, Lulu's Playground, my wife's band, Jan and Iberg group, and Jan and Iberg Five. I mean, we've been doing, I've done, you know, 25, 30, 35 records, just me playing, me producing. And it still today feels like, you know, who am I even, you know? So, but, but there's that curiosity well, of, of like exploring these various different things and going like, oh, I have these tendencies too. I also like this thing. I also like songwriting. I also like poetry. You know, it's like all these things kind of start to go like, oh, how can I put all that together and, and, is that me as an artist, well, you know? Well, that, I mean, that's, by golly, Adam, we're, get, we're getting to the meaning of life. We're yeah. getting to the joy of life, right? And, and I think we misperceive why things become popular. I think we misperceive why things are, you know, deemed later to be great. Part of the Beatles' greatness was that they evolved. They weren't just the mop tops for forever. Right. They became this thing. For a hot minute, they were Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, and, and then they were the next thing, and then they were playing on the rooftop, right? right. And the fans grew with them. Look, look at Taylor Swift's career. We've watched a beautiful evolution, and, well, she went pop, and she used to be this. She grew. Right. Look at Miles Davis. Oh, yeah. Right? reinventing jazz five different times, yep. right? Well, it wasn't just Miles was a genius and so he evolved. It's Miles was a human and he had to evolve. Right. David Bowie, Madonna, so many artists over time, part of the reason we love them isn't their greatness, it's their humanity and their willingness to go in this direction and go in that direction. And when you dive deep, you realize, oh, you were just chasing your own muse. Yeah. You know, we're seeing that right? in real time, too, with the young, uh, hip Minnesota band, Hippocampus. You know, Hippocampus. They're, they're like, every record Absolutely. they release, all the new stuff, it's like, 
everything they do sounds different. And I go, we, my wife used to teach a bunch of them at St. Paul Conservatory for Performing Arts, the the high school, and uh, and I played. It's weirdly like the drummer and the lead singer were on my softball team for a little while because the drummer's dad was on my softball team, so we'd all hang out and and play. But you know, so I'll be on their YouTube videos just checking it out. She'd be like, I wonder what these guys are up to. And DiCarlo was a student of mine at McNally Smith too. Yep. Um, and uh, man, it's like everything they release is different. And I go and I read their comments, and people are like, uh, some people are like, I don't know, this, uh, I really appre- uh, you know, I really like the older stuff. And some people will be like, I love that they're changing. I love that they're being open about their whatever, the, you know, their sexuality and their, you know, th- these really important personal things. Like I love that they're opening up about these things as artists, and they're changing the, the way that they're, you know, art, we we change as humans, right? Yeah, I mean that's a natural progression of things, and so the so our music is going to change. I think that's a beautiful thing. And and one thing that's really exciting about art is there isn't a definition of it. You can take it in any direction you want to, right? The Adam Meckler Orchestra isn't a thing. It's a great idea and and to to steal a quote from Bon Iver, it's it's a village, it's a village of creativity with all these moving parts that will help it evolve. Um, but you know, I've 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 always respected some elements of Damon Albarn's career, right? You come up in this thing called Blur. Well, then when you need to, you jump and you do Gorillas, and then you're over here with the Good, the Bad, the Queen, and then yeah. you're over here with a stark, beautiful solo record composed in Iceland. There's there's ten things going on around Damon Albarn, as there are with lots of other artists. You know, Jack Antonoff is Jack Antonoff, but he's got the heritage of fun, and he's got the Bleachers side project, and then there's all the production. If you have a whim tomorrow, it's a new URL, it's a couple of socials, and it's a whole new outlet that lets you explore that, sure. recharge in a different direction, and then come back to you know your home base, your home mixing pod, and rebuild that creatively. I think there's more acceptance now than there ever has been for people to step step out musically and to share and exchange and to build and it's funny for all the for all of us that watched all nine hours of get back yeah at one point george is talking about he's got songs he wants to release that he doesn't think are part of the beatles and at the, in the moment john lennon was like well fine you know you go do your thing and then we can always come back as the beatles you know <laughs> They yep. never lived up to that ideal. Yeah, that's a good impression. Wow, right? Incredible. <clears throat> they never, they never came back to that ideal. But yeah, hey man, go go do you, and then come back to the team, and then go try this. And I think I've learned. I get excited anytime I see a committed human. Right? Mm. Like, n- n- no shit. You've spent the last five years really honing your baking. I want to have one of your scones. Yeah, yeah. Your man. your your grandmother taught you to cook, and this is your first food truck. I want to try your cannoli. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime there's that authentic human curiosity, funneled by some deep learning, which invariably means mistakes, right? Like, sure. There's story you know, the there too. You, there's story and personality, and I think that's a big big part right. of being an artist is being able to speak your story, right? That's that's a big part of attracting new people to your to your thing. Right, and and showing other humans, man, I went through some stuff, and here's my outlet. My outlet is this book, this film, this record, or my outlet is this new small business. That's exciting. 
yeah. because that shows me as a human, <laughs> maybe I can evolve from here. And quite frankly, not everything about here is great. So anybody who does anything against the, well, you're never going to make it and no one's going to like it. And why would you be a musician? You know, by golly, music and entertainment now represents a $753 billion a year global enterprise. Mm -hmm. music, music and creativity is not a small facet of the country. Matter of fact, arts and culture, sort of narrowly, narrowly looking at nonprofits and that sort of thing, is bigger than transportation, tourism, and construction. Wow. But whenever we talk about jobs, we don't necessarily talk about infrastructures and the infrastructure deals in the arts. Right. You know what I mean? And I'm not denigrating other professions. I'm just excited about organizations like Neva that have worked really hard in the last year to point out, man, music clubs are a major economic driver, right? Dana Frank, owner of First Avenue, had that moment when the club closed in March 2020 and she went like, oh my God, now what? I don't want to, I don't want to lose the legacy of this place. Yep. And brilliantly, she started calling her competitors and they all shared and they all brainstormed and that became Neva and that became a lobbying effort and that became a $3 billion bill going into Congress and getting signed by the president. That's exciting, wow. showing that, you know, <clears throat> That type of thing, that's the attitude, that's the philosophy that we all need, that we're in this together and that the arts matter. Your bookstore matters, your record matters, uh, the work that you're doing. And to every young kid in a high school band, your love of the oboe, the clarinet, and anything else that people make fun of you about, it matters. Yeah, and you know, along those lines, you're going to find your niche. You're going to find the people that, that love the same things you love and the, and, the, and the people that want to listen to that, too. I mean, there's a whole world of people out there. And, you know, middle school and high school can feel really isolating, especially middle school, I think. Um, in high school, we tend, to, we, we tend to start to find our little, our little groups of friends that, that like the same stuff as us. But as somebody who was like, I'm kind of passionate about this, too, this idea that, like, you can be both an athlete and a musician. You know, it's like I grew up and I played on the basketball team and the baseball team and the golf team. And I was in band and jazz band and choir and jazz choir. And I did theater and I did the pit orchestras. But I was on stage acting, too. Uh, you know, to me, it was like th those things are all those those things can all live together and if you're in a place as a student if you're a listener and you're in a place uh as as a high schooler where you're feeling isolated i i would encourage you to 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 stick with it uh because yeah, things and, can and, really open up and 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 stepping out and trying new things just fuels you and gives you new inspiration for the future yeah. and you know again we started this with spotify we started this sort of with are there still reasons to be optimistic? By yeah. golly, yes. And, you know, looking at what some of our friends did, uh, early, to, early 2020, you know, at first no one's sure what to do, and then sort of, well, let's try some live streams. Yep. Well, some of our friends who might on a good day fill a thousand-person club, they did a couple of big live streams, and lo and behold, they pulled 50,000 people. Right. Right. And, you know, would have ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollar grossing nights when 
they'd never do that in, in a regular tour. They'd never play a target center. It would be a bunch of fine lines. It would be a bunch of cabaret metros. It would be that size thing. Right. So, okay, you're in a niche, right? You, you've got the oboe and the looping pedal and something weird. You're going anything non-traditional. It's not necessarily about uh, filling a stadium. It's connecting with 10 people in every town that thinks your thing is cool yep. and then driving them to an event. And lo and behold, it's now 10,000 people showing up, right? Right. right. Yeah, I was just right. inspired. A, real quick, a, a student of mine is friends with an L.A.-based artist and helped this L.A.-based artist put together a Kickstarter campaign, which uh, met its goal yesterday. The goal was 30 grand. And, you know, when, when my student says, hey, I've been helping this artist raise a $30,000 Kickstarter, I was sort of like, oh, okay, good yeah. luck, because that's, that's a big lift. Yep. Well, they, they did it, right? And I asked, the question I wanted to know is, how many people, how many people were supporters? The answer was 278. Yeah, I would have guessed around 250, yeah. Right? So yep. this notion that music and the arts is just careers where you sell out stadiums, that's really a fallacy. Right. If you find 250 committed people that believe in you, yep. you can raise a bunch of money. And I know for a fact that that 30000 she's not going to blow it in a month in the studio or in a big studio. Like that 30000 is, it's merch and it's vinyl and it's fix the transmission on the van and it's get on the road. Like right. there's runway with that amount of money that will really give you a further economic impact. And again... That's exciting. Yeah. I think that's such an important point to make is that you don't have to have a huge audience to make it. And, you know, Mar it was somebody I really uh, admire is Maria Schneider, the composer from New York City, who you won't find on any streaming platforms. Her whole model, her whole career has been, I want to find 5,000 committed fans. You know, that's been her whole model. 5,000 committed fans over, around, all around the world who will pay for my music. And, and that has been her model, and that has sustained her for her entire career. Now she, she does, you know, she was uh, one of the creators of Artist Share. One of the, she was the first ar artist on Artist Share, which was a crowdfunding platform before Kickstarter and before Indiegogo existed. This is like one of the early, 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 maybe the earliest crowdfunding platform that exists. And, uh, you know, she, she'll raise, she'll do, in one, one donor will, will raise $25,000. You know, one donor will be a $25,000 donor. That'd be like an executive level donor and then that person gets to go bird watching with her and that person maybe gets to come to the studio to see the recording well, session and she raises two hundred fifty, three hundred thousand dollars for her albums you know and and there's a really really critical point there and this this is baked into sort of the magic goo that that is artist share it's called artist share mm -hmm. and the system was set up to help you the artist share more with the understanding that sharing and engaging with humans is the way to tell your story, is the way to build fans. And I think this should also be inspiring to the next generation of musicians. It's not just your talent. If you're not the best in the world today, there's still hope for you. There's still a place for you. Yeah. If you share why art is important, if you share why music is important, I will become your fan even if you can't play all the notes in the solo because the reason you play is the reason I play, and we're all in this together. Yep. And <clears throat> Benj Cantor, Benji Cantor, uh, no, Benji Rogers, oh, I'm going to have to Google it, founder of uh, Pledge Music, 
he was very fond of saying, remember, the most exciting time to be involved with an artist is not when they're selling a record, it's when they're making a record. Huh. When, when, when they're playing, producing, writing, struggling, right? If you let people into that process, which seems like a mysterious thing mm -hmm. for non-players, yep. that's the magic sauce, not the, you know, a, a month later, please buy my thing, right? Right. And so if we remember to share, if we remember to be participatory, we can pull in that 250 people, keep them, and then all that happens is grow it. Because you're not, you're not fighting a sale, you're building a community, you're building a culture, you're letting other people experience the beauty and the earth-shaking power that's music. Man, that's awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Create community. That's, that's, what's, that's what it's all about. Create community. Uh, we very much appreciate you, Scott. Uh, you laid some serious knowledge on us. We're going to link everything Scott talked about in the description of the podcast. Again, brought to you by Gig Boss app, free on iOS and Android. Organize your careers in a better way. Thanks, Scott. Adam, thank you so much. Thanks for being who you are. Thank you for bringing an app like this to the marketplace. Thank you for sharing conversations like this. This is how we all engage and we all grow. I appreciate you. Thank you, brother. All right. Take care, my friend. Be well. See you.